Welcome to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM. In New York City, I'm Amba Gregarian, filling in for John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of the Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website. That's independent.org, I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T.org. Now, turning to our first segment, when Joe Biden announced that U.S. troops would pull out of Afghanistan, thousands of people rushed to Hamid Karzai International Airport, where many lost their lives in the events that followed. Over 150 people have died after a suicide bomber detonated his vest at the U.S. checkpoint, and reportedly, in the subsequent chaos, soldiers opened fire on a crowd of civilians at the end of last week. People have been trampled or died from exposure when they had to wait on the tarmac of the airport for days. Now we will speak with two people who've been working tirelessly to get at-risk individuals out of Afghanistan. Maddie Williamson, based in Istanbul, is a nurse from Seattle, Washington, who specializes in human-centered migratory health. She spent five years working with refugee populations in the Middle East and Mediterranean regions. And Shahib Nari based in Washington, D.C., is an Afghan-American with over a decade of professional experience with private sector, NGO, and governmental institutions. He's worked with many international organizations in and outside of Afghanistan. Maddie and Shakib, welcome to WBAI. It's so great to have you. Maddie and Shakib, are you there? Can you hear me? Yes. Hi, I can. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so great to have have you guys. So, Shakib, I'm going to start out with a question for you. Explain why journalists, um, particularly female journalists, are so desperate to leave um, the country, Afghanistan. Are they being attacked yet or just fearing attack based on the Taliban's rule in the past? Um, not only Afghan female journalists and particularly the younger generation are at fear. Uh, because um, Taliban's actions in the past, in the 90s, and recently in the provinces before capturing Kabul and the entire country. Um, so it definitely put everybody um, at, at risk and fear. Uh, so a lot of a young female educated uh, dad um, had, you know, invested their life in Afghanistan for the past 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, they feel fear and they feel that their lives are at risk, in particular women, um, because of the uh, Taliban's strict um, Islamic um, rules uh, that basically put on a lot of women, uh, especially journalists are not, uh, were not allowed to uh, appear on TV or do interviews, um, which uh, in this time, it seems a little different. They asked journalists to come. Uh, some of them were not allowed when they were asked. Uh, but I can go on later on and give you more details on that. But uh, yeah, just to um, come back, everybody fears uh, journalists, uh, social, uh, civil activists, uh, social workers, uh, government employees, anybody. And I understand it's been very difficult getting uh, for people who are trying to leave um, on either side of things, people who are trying to leave, people who are trying to sponsor, people who are wanting to leave? A lot of people want to leave because uh, for their freedom. They want to live somewhere they can have that uh, freedom of expression, uh, women's rights are being respected, 
Right? And, and, you know, some of these young people continue their education. It's a very, I mean, it, it is a brutal regime. It used to be a re- brutal regime. Um, they have been saying that they have changed. We haven't seen their actions yet. Uh, uh, so uh, that fear is still among Afghans. And we, are, we witnessed many executions in the past by the Taliban regimes um, in remote areas back in the 90s. Uh, recently, before they taken, uh, they took Kabul. Um, so they, yeah, they itself it, it spreads a lot of fears among um, the civilians. Right, and and what I mean, speak a little bit more about that, about the current feeling on the ground among, as you said, not just sort of intellectuals and people who are at high risk, but any person you know, um, people you've been talking to, um, and sort of. Do people have um, a bittersweet feeling towards the U.S. leaving? Are they hopeful at all about the Taliban's governance? Speak on this change a little bit. Well, a lot of Afghans, majority of Afghan from the metropolitan cities, the one that were socially connected into the world, travel, they work with civil society, private sector, a lot of NGOs, and, and had a semi-relatively decent life. Um, uh, they feel betrayed, disappointed. Um, a lot of them feel, I speak with them, they say they feel numb, as if they have lost their country. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's what the feeling on the ground is. Um, mm-hmm. But we also talk to some people, they say, well, there's some some level of peace. There is no more suicide. There is no more kidnapping. Um, but the sense of freedom is missing. Um, okay. sort of people, um, you know, go free and, and women uh, should be allowed to go work. It's not the case anymore. Uh, although Taliban uh, expressed on their press conferences that they would want women to go to work and um, and respect their their rights and respect minorities' rights. Um, but we have to see. We have actions speak louder. Um, right. so we haven't seen any Anything. The only hope I would say some Afghans may have is the um, that if they come together and form an inclusive government where they respect um, basic rights of of the civilians, mm-hmm. uh, and we might see a little bit of hope there, and if people continue um, living under their regime. And uh, just one more question on this topic, and Maddie, I have some for you, but. Um... Do you, is there an anger towards the the U.S.? I can imagine obvious angers towards the Taliban, but is there an anger among your sort of young younger peers? I think the younger peers, yes. They feel betrayed. They feel disappointed. Anger in a way that they, their withdrawal was irresponsible. Their withdrawal was not managed properly. Uh, the execution of the... Uh, evacuation was a disaster, and we okay. saw that people lost their life. The airports were closed for for uh, weeks. Um, so I think people have mixed feeling. Um, as a lot of Afghans uh, do um, wished, uh, do wish uh, 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 to have the Americans left Amer- uh, Afghanistan long time ago, but with res- with a uh, you know more responsible. Uh, in in a way that they, um, uh, in a way that's you know the life of Afghans shouldn't turn the way it turned like this. Like today, we see uh, these events. 
Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, now, Maddie, you've been speaking to female journalists and, and other at-risk individuals in the country, doing interviews with them over the past week or so. Uh, small plug here. I'm actually very excited to announce that Maddie will be writing an article, is writing an article for the upcoming issue of Independent, um, our mid-September issue. So everyone look out for that when it comes out. So I know she, you've been speaking to a lot of different at-risk individuals in the past few days, doing interviews with them. What can you relay from those conversations? What kind of picture can you paint? I know you said it feels like it might be some of the last conversations with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think first and foremost, what needs to be said is that the, the conversations, what we're witnessing on the ground and the conversations that we're having with people who are stuck and, as Shakib said, who feel betrayed, not just by the Americans, but by the international community, that as a humanitarian, as a conscientious observer of this, the writing was on the wall for this for decades. Absolutely none of this should surprise anyone, especially people who are, you know, key stakeholders in this. So military strategists, humanitarians, politicians, diplomats, that this, the unfolding of events should not surprise anybody. And so most of the people that I've been speaking to, the, the common thread is that they are, they're human rights activists, they're human rights defenders. They're openly advocating for their own rights and for the rights of other people. They're, they're members of historically prosecuted minorities, people who under the current Taliban regime, even at best, would have been or will become political prisoners um, targeted by violence, arrest, or even execution. Um, and so, you know, what I can relay from these conversations that, that there is absolutely valid fear for their lives, and there's a sense of helplessness, and there's a sense of betrayal um, by at the hands of the international community, where they say, you know, We've been fed this narrative our entire lives that we need to study and we need to speak out. And we need to stand up for ourselves. And we did that. And now we're stuck to face the consequences of that with little to no support. We spent days running in circles around different visa options, state departments, asking for support for these people, saying that, like, these are actually the most vulnerable. They don't have passports. They need visas to exit. These need to be given to them right away. And as Shakib mentioned, you know, this this evacuation process was just an absolute disaster. And I think any of us who were observing earlier saw that coming. So what they've been saying to me is just this sense of despair and disappointment and betrayal. Um, and it's been really heartbreaking to to see. Yeah, I can't imagine the um, trying to feel emotions about this while also scrambling to figure out where your life is going to go. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but Maddie, you've been working with, with Afghan refugees actually since before this most recent crisis. You've been working for them for quite a few months. It's been five now. years. I mean, since I started working with refugees, I started working with Afghans. Yep. Okay. So talk a little bit about what the Afghan refugee situation looked like before this new sort of influx of, of what mm -hmm, was mm -hmm. the refugee crisis and, and, and what that was like, who, who was refugees then? Well, the, the thing about, I mean, refugee situations in general is that I think we just completely oversimplify the, these really complicated issues. And so the, the places that I've worked have been along what we kind of call the migratory pathway, where there is a directional, typical unidirectional flow of people coming from certain regions and they're trying to get to another region where they hope that their most basic human rights will be respected and they'll have an opportunity to live safe and healthy lives. Mm -hmm. um, what we see, though, is that depending on the public narrative, people receive different um, 
treatment all along this pathway. And so the issue that I've observed with Afghans and with Afghanistan that's perplexed me since the time I started working in this sector is that uh, if you look at all of these different metrics and measurements that we would sort of make to determine how safe or how dangerous a country is, you know, what's people's access to healthcare? What's people's access to education? How are, you know, not just human rights, but gender issues? Are there targeted minorities? Are there systemic dangers that people need to be facing? You know, all of this aside from ongoing conflict, at every possible metric, Afghanistan has consistently been in the top 10 most dangerous places in the world, even during these times that we kind of decided to call, you know, quote, peaceful. We've been refouling. And re- so refoulement is a term meaning, you know, returning unquestionable um, legalities. We've been deporting is kind of the common term for it. But we've been sending people back to this situation that by no means is safe. At no level is this safe, even if people aren't fleeing direct threats from the Taliban, even if they weren't singled out. When you're living in a country with crippling poverty, very little options for high quality health care. You know, these are a lot of factors that contribute to making people unsafe. But unfortunately, this doesn't necessarily qualify you as a refugee. And so on one hand, you know, what I'm hoping is that this current issue really shines a light on how serious the situation has been in Afghanistan for decades now. This is not a new problem. Um, and I hope that it brings more attention to the way that Afghans are kind of neglected when it comes to these issues. But I, I you know, what I'm scared of, though, is that as the, the deadline passes and Biden addressed the nation today in a way that I could dive into an entire conversation about how wrong that lens that he used was. But, you know, to say very soon this is going to be on the complete back burner if on the stove still when it comes to the social narrative. I And I don't know what we're going to do when we sort of lose that attention. But if anybody is listening and wants to sort of say, you know, think, how can I stay engaged in this issue? How can I con- continue supporting Afghans? I think that what we're really afraid of right now is, well, what's going to happen, not just inside of Afghanistan, but what's going to happen to Afghans if they do manage to leave? For all of these human rights defenders, you know, some of them who are targeted minorities, going to neighboring countries is not safe for them. The countries immediately surrounding Afghanistan have not been safe for Afghan migrants and diaspora. And many of these people have have lived in cycles of exile for decades, depending on how the conflict inside of Afghanistan goes. And Mm. so when it, you know, when it comes to Afghanistan, this isn't like Syria where the region was like, kind of doing its thing past World War One, World War Two, when it was divided. And then suddenly there was this huge war that was like really localized in one in one country. This is there have been cycles of displacement of Afghans for decades now. And we've had the opportunity to observe that. And we've chosen to remain complacent or in this case to actually make it worse with the intentions of making it better. So mm-hmm. I think that just trying to keep an eye on this and to remember that like this is something we've seen before. This is something that Afghans have been living and experiencing for decades. This is something that humanitarians who've been working with Afghans have been seeing and experiencing for years. We need to remember that this isn't this isn't a new issue and it's not an issue that's going to go away just because it's out of the headlines. No, cycles of migration in the Middle East is a forever problem. Um, last question, Shakib. Um, so, you know, as, as Maddie was just speaking to U.S. airports, um, are already flooding with Afghan refugees, those airports that will accept them, of course. Um, as an Afghan-American, a Middle Eastern American, how do you think this might affect the way that we're treated in the U.S.? And, and what are your fears or hopes for arriving refugees? 
I think it's going to be very difficult in the beginning for a lot of these young people uh, coming into um, the U.S., especially, you know, U.S. and Western countries. Integration is a huge uh, question. Uh, how are they going to integrate? A, it will take some time uh, for them. And the source of the, the sense of attachment uh, back home when they're still in shock um, how long does it take them to leave that behind? Maybe not. Uh, maybe it takes forever. Um, there will be a number of challenges, re, you know, sort of integrating themselves back into a whole new society. Uh, uh, that's something completely new. And, and get, finding a job, finding themselves again, resettling with their families. And some of them, their family left behind, their friends left behind, their entire life left behind. So it's going to be uh, quite difficult, but I think what well, I mean, one of the recommendations I have for the U.S. Uh, aid agencies here and in, in, in Europe is is to facilitate, help them uh, find themselves uh, and quickly integrate into society. Because I don't, you know, it's going it's going to take a, a while for them to to find themselves and find a job and settle down. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much, Shakib Nori and Maddie Williamson, um, for talking to us amidst your very busy days. And Maddie joined us at night in Turkey. If you want to keep up with some of the work they've been doing, you can check out the blog's blog. And I give everybody the link. So it's n-sitecollaborative.org backslash blog dash one. One more time in like i n dash site collaborative dot org backslash blog dash one thank you so much for being on the show